What skills do you really need from your workforce? What skills are most valuable? What are the critical issues? If the answers were clear, every organization would likely change. There are literally thousands of variables that leave leaders baffled as they sift through the clutter of needs and options to decide what is really crucial. Most organizations are not able to fix everything. Therefore, they need to prioritize the capabilities that, if changed, would have the greatest impact on the organization's results. Today, we are exploring how to navigate which skills you need to develop that your company will value the most. Welcome to the 90th Percentile, an unconventional leadership podcast. Each week, using research from over 1.5 million global assessments of leaders, we analyze different leadership traits, trends, and what it really takes for leaders to get to the 90th Percentile. I'm Brianna Corin, and joining me today is renowned psychometrician and my father, Joe Folkman. Hi, Bri. Great to be here. Hello. You know, the other day, someone was singing praises about our podcast on LinkedIn and was like, I enjoy the conversations with Jack and his daughter. <laughs> I was like, huh, I should. It's actually the other one. It's the other Jay. Oh, well. <laughs> but I'm like, I'll claim Jack. I like him too. <laughs> but not quite right. But thank you. Thank you for listening and singing our praises on LinkedIn. <laughs> I am going to come right out and say it. For this subject, I'm so tired of all the new skills that we're constantly being encouraged to learn. It's like, now for marketing, here's my soapbox, right? I have to understand how to effectively utilize an AI chatbot so I can create and edit even more content. Bah humbug. That's what I have to say. <laughs> but don't worry, we write our own stuff. But the pressures out there for Every industry, regardless of which one you're in or what function you're in, are really so demanding. And I'm glad, at least for my sake, that we're going to focus on how do we focus our mental and physical energy on learning the things that are really going to matter for the organization and that's going to make the biggest difference. Well, that's true, Bree. And I, I, uh, I just got a new EV, an electric car. And uh, I decided to take it on a test drive uh, up into Idaho. We had a conference in Boise. And I learned a lot on that trip. Uh, the biggest thing I learned was, uh, you know, when it's 20 degrees and uh, you're, you're driving into a wind, the mileage it says you have, that isn't real. <laughs> <laughs> It's freezing up. So I coasted to my stop in a little town in Idaho that had a charging station, and I was at 7% uh, charge. That's uh, terrifying. Which, wow, that was a good learning experience. <laughs> yeah, you're getting ahead of the game, and you're like, I'm not afraid to learn new things. But I feel like... The world that my children are growing up in is different from your world. I always say, I wish I was a 90s mom. It's probably me. It was hard in the 90s too. But, you know, is it, I feel like it's more complicated now in organizations than it was back then. Things were simpler. Am, am I right? Am I wrong? Well, when I was in graduate school, I was taught that all managers needed to do was plan, organize, direct, and control. Oh. Sounds pretty simple. Yeah. And by the way, even today, those same skills are valued, uh, mm -hmm. but there's a lot of additional expectations, a lot of additional skills, a lot of additional demands. I think everybody's struggling to try to keep up. 
Everyone knows the world is moving faster now and demands new skills to keep up. Just because you have worked in IT for 10 years doesn't mean you'll have the right skills for a different position. Yeah. Someone we know in the industry, Josh Burson, who's a good friend, does a great HR predictions report each year. And I found it interesting that one of the predictions they made based on their research was along the lines, we are all dealing with tens to hundreds of thousands of skills, each of which might turn up or down based on technology in the workforce. He said, a skills-based organization is using this data to focus specifically on business problems, whom to hire, whom to, who to promote, how to develop people for increased performance, who to consider for an internal promotion. Many companies are now paying for skills, encouraging employees to figure out what skills are in demand and then go out and build them themselves. So instead of like, we're hiring for skills now, there's like specific skills. I love that example you said about like technology, because it's true. There are so many different coding languages and is do you know the right ones? So these skills are important, but what if I build a skill and it's useless to the organization, <laughs> right? I don't want to, I'm like, oh, well, guess what? I have this skill. I went out and did it and you don't need it. Like a hard technical type skill, like me learning how to do a podcast for marketing, or it, you know, it can be some of those other soft skills, right? That we not, I mean, people don't call them soft anymore. We call them human skills, being better at recognizing or being a better coach, those type of skills, but you can't be everything. So how do you figure out, which one of these is going to be most valuable for the organization? That can be tricky, but to answer that question, we studied organizational effectiveness. We looked at key capabilities that differentiate the very best organizations. Now, to do this, we studied 122,000 employees in 10,000 different groups and organizations. The research distilled thousands of variables down to a few capabilities that leveraged organizational effectiveness. Even with a distilled list of key variables, we discovered that when you ask employees what's going well and what needs to improve, the process inevitably produces a substantially longer list of problems than need to be fixed. Oh, dear. <laughs> well, that's true. And most leaders who examine their employee survey results can identify with a long list of things that people think needed to be improved. Mm -hmm. In life, I've generally found that issues that people complain about the most are seldom the elements that have the greatest impact when changed. For example, many years ago, when you desperately wanted a certain toy on Christmas, we got it for you. But on Christmas morning, you spent most of the time playing in an empty box. <laughs> <laughs> lies. This is lies. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> but there are lots of things. I think what you're getting at is that we each have this list of things we think that we need that will fix the problems or make work better. And it might be different for each person. So how do you group it all together and discover what is really valuable? Well, there's many areas in every group that need improvement, but there's a much smaller list of areas that are valued by most of the members of a particular department or team. The problem we have is that most leaders are so preoccupied with fixing weaknesses that they don't seek 
feedback from the group members to identify which of the changes would they appreciate the most. One of our key learnings in our research on leaders was that to be a highly effective leader, guess what? You don't need to be perfect. You don't need to do everything well. That also applies to organizations. We just need to figure out those perfect few attributes or skills that matter the most. All right, let me give you an example. We had an airline client. The issues that members identified as most negative were very similar from one group to the next. Using a new algorithm in the employee survey, we were able to measure both what was needed and what was most valued for the primary three groups. The three groups were pilots, flight attendants, and baggage handlers. Now, when we looked at the pilot data, they valued being respected. Uh, they recognized they wanted to be recognized for extra effort. Cooperation and collaboration was critical. <laughs> it's not great to have a, a negative discussion in the cockpit. And clarifying the company strategy was important to them because they had a longer view than the others. They, they were in it for the long run. They wanted to know where this organization was going. Now, flight attendants, they were really concerned about the effectiveness of their supervisor. Uh, I mean, you know, that wasn't an issue for pilots because <laughs> they're really clear about who's, but they, it, it's not the same thing. Their team is very small. Uh, they were really interested, flight attendants, in growth and development, in teamwork. <laughs> the one that bothered them the most were that customer reservations needed to be accurate. And the problem there <laughs> was that the flight attendants had to deal with problems with reservations, which, you know, they're saying, this is not my job. Now, what do the baggage handlers care about? Well, they really wanted top management in their corner. They, they wanted to know that top management supported them. They felt like they, uh, they needed to learn from mistakes. When things went wrong, they needed to figure out what was wrong. Uh, there was a sense that people weren't proud of the work that they were doing. And, and they didn't think, uh, they didn't get the feeling when those bags came on time, how much people appreciated it. But mostly, they wanted to be respected. Isn't that true? I mean, you think about who really makes the flight successful, and it's the people, some of the people you never see, those people that got your bags on the plane and off the plane in, in good time. Each group's tasks and responsibilities to the airline were different, and so it should not be surprising that they needed and valued different things. By integrating the factors of what people are most frustrated with, with what was most valued, leaders could address their problems more specifically. This meant that leaders could more accurately eliminate the factors that were negative, but they weren't highly valued. By focusing on improvement and developing the necessary skills in the areas each group of employees valued the most, the organization improved its effectiveness dramatically. That's a great example because you're right. They are so different in the way that they function with the organization, but figuring out what's going to make the biggest difference is huge. But I want to, I want to go back a little bit to something you said earlier, 
when you ask employees how to improve organizational effectiveness, that the process invariably produces this really long list of problems that need to be fixed. It sounds like it's really focused on like, okay, what are the problems and which ones do we value fixing the most? Should our focus on developing, you know, these skills be focused only on solving the organizational issues? I guess when it comes to an organizational level, or is it still, you know, we need to be looking at a different way? Well, let me issue a word of warning about that. Discovering only the needs for improvement should not be a priority when companies are seeking to increase their effectiveness. We find that when it comes to recognizing superior execution or avoiding mistakes, the company's area of focus and the emphasis is wrong. Sadly, most employee surveys center on what's Mm -hmm. wrong, what they're not doing well or what needs to be fixed. We strongly advise that you consider a different approach. While you will always need to address the organization's serious defects, the better approach is to also identify the organizational strengths that you should build. In other words, what do we need to do well to be successful? And by doing that, you can stand out, you can differentiate yourself from competitors by really being very, very good at the things that matter the most. Yeah, I think that's an important, important thing, especially in a world that that kind of pushes out this message of keeping up with the Kardashians, so to speak. You know, it's hard because this explosion of knowledge and technology has virtually made the, the Renaissance person a myth, right? I mean, that isn't to say that we can't have broad ranging interests and we can't learn new things, but simultaneously excelling in technology, graphic design, writing, negotiation, sales, finance, speaking, and being an incredible coach to others, it's a bit unrealistic. <laughs> so don't <laughs> don't try to be good at everything uh, or go after every trending skill, because I think there are a lot of trendy skills out there that might not be right for your team organization. Figure out what really matters to your group and lean in and remember your strengths. Very true. Uh, No organization, no individual is perfect. We maintain that organizations that build on their strengths greatly increase their effectiveness. But organizations who focus only on what's wrong will, will miss out entirely on the wonderful opportunity to build and expand on the things they're doing right. In short, Balance is vital. Organizations should do the following. Identify the organizational strengths and build on them. The beginning of your most profound improvements is as simple as that. The 90th Percentile and Unconventional Leadership Podcast was written and recorded by Brianna Corin, Jack Zanger, and Joe Folkman, and produced by Zanger Folkman. If you're interested in learning more about Zanger Folkman's award-winning 360-degree assessments, leadership, and coaching offerings, or would like to attend our monthly leadership webinar series hosted by Jack and Joe, visit our website at zangerfolkman.com. If you like our podcast, tell your friends and coworkers about it, and be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Stitcher, and leave us a great review. We really like to read them. All resources and links to the research referenced in this episode can be found in our episode details or on our podcast page on zangerfolkman.com.